Thanks for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant-pca.com. Then in the New Testament, it is just the central theme, the kingdom of God. We saw in our confession of faith uh, just a few moments ago the equation between the church in its universal uh, uh, appearance, and the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God is the church, but it's more than the local church. It's the church in its, in its ever-present ever existence around the earth as God establishes it. It is the entire sphere of this globe encompassing it and more and more taking it into submission for the glory of God. Let's read God's Word together. I'll read through verse 5 again. We'll start next week looking at verses 6 and following. In the first book, O Theophilus, the first book we saw last week is the book of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, as Luke is the recorder of this historical narrative we call the Acts of the Holy Spirit, sometimes referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. Theophilus being a friend, lover of God to whom he addresses this, this book as well as his book of Luke. I have dealt with all, in the first book that is, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask you now to to cause your spirit to take your word, to to work it into the very fiber of our souls that we might be changed, that there might be some here see the kingdom for the first time and, and have that desire to enter the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Those of us who have loved you for years would have a greater understanding of the kingdom and a greater appreciation for it and a greater desire to see it grow and spread and therefore make us more generous with our givings and our service. Whatever our need, Lord, we pray that you would do it for us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in the church world, you often, if you listen to much Christian radio or you read much Christian literature, you hear a lot about the kingdom. You hear people, it's just almost common, part of their daily vocabulary to talk about the kingdom and the work of the kingdom. That causes us to have to answer the question, well, what is the kingdom of God? We've already touched on that already. It's the church. 
and the church as it, as it is moving forward and, and growing and expanding and finding a universal expression around the globe. What's the kingdom work? Well, I'll tell you, we'll revisit this. The kingdom work is very simple. It's preaching the gospel. It's telling others of, of Christ and the need for faith in Christ. The absolute requisite of faith in Christ, the only entrance into the kingdom, the way to have proper standing, to be a proper subject of the kingdom is through faith in Christ. So the kingdom is, is global. The kingdom is a, is a domain. It's a, it's a realm of, of, God's, of God's kingship, Christ's kingship over His church. And the work is to tell the gospel. Jesus said it very simply in the last words we find recorded in Matthew's gospel that we're to go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you till the end of the age. That's the work of the kingdom. It's simple. We complicate it sometimes. We even distort it sometimes. This is important, though, this idea of the kingdom of God. Obviously so. It's right here at the beginning of this passage. It was at the beginning of Christ's ministry. If you'll go back to Matthew, Mark, if you'll look, you'll see that the first thing Jesus did in His public ministry was to preach. Now, I'm going to come back to that in point three of the sermon. But Jesus began preaching. And Jesus even said, this is why I came, to preach. Preach what? The kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. He began that way. And then he ends this way. Right here. What's the last thing he spoke to them about during those 40 days after his resurrection? About the kingdom of God. He began his earthly ministry he closed out his earthly ministry, preaching the kingdom of God. That would suggest to us that it's very important. The single most recurring theme in Jesus' preaching and teaching was the kingdom of God. Acts begins with Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God Eight times then Luke will speak of the kingdom of God twice in the very last verses of the book in chapter 28 when Paul is said to have been in house arrest in Rome and he preached concerning the gospel of the kingdom and what they should believe about Jesus. Twice in about six or eight verses. Luke recorded that for us, that that's what Paul preached. So Luke began saying, this is what Jesus told us. This is what we preached, the kingdom of God. Eight times scattered through Acts. Now that's not a, 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 you know overwhelming number, except as you begin to see them, and as we'll look at them, they seem to be very strategically placed. But to think Luke doesn't think a whole lot of the kingdom would be wrong just because he only uses the term eight times, the concept appears more often. And we'll look at that. But in the gospel according to Luke, 45 times the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of, of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom appears. Now that starts suggesting that this is an important thing. 
shouldn't surprise us that, as I said, that Luke mentions it so much and Paul preached it so much, Peter preaches it so much, because that's what our Lord preached. They were simply taking up his ministry, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Well, let's look at this, uh, this concept of the kingdom of God, and this is one upon which books have been written. Multi-volumes. Some have handled it as, as purely an ethical system. In the 19th century, Albert Rischel, the leading liberal scholar, took it up and wrote a massive volume on the kingdom of God. And in that, it was an ethical system, pure and simple. And out of it came Adolf von Harnack's uh, treatise on Christianity, and that's where we get that often cited, well, this is what I believe. I believe in the fatherhood of God, the universal brotherhood of all, and that innate good of all men. That's liberalism. That's Adolf Harnack. That comes out of Albrecht Rischel's Kingdom of God, which is an ethical system. You ever heard people say, well, if we, could just, if we would just all live the way Jesus taught us to live in the Sermon on the Mount, this would be a wonderful world. That's Albrecht Rischel. It's just an ethical system, and we can all do it if we just would, bums that we are. That's not the kingdom of God. Now, there is an ethic to it, but the kingdom is, is, is more than an ethical system. It's the realm of God's sovereign power and authority. It's, it's a kingdom that has a king seated upon a throne. Remember what Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel? He said, you can't see the kingdom unless you've been born again. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you've been born again. That tells us the kingdom is more than just an ethical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual sphere. It's a spiritual domain. It's a spiritual entity. The kingdom in the New Testament, as it begins to develop and we get more facts about the kingdom, we know that just by virtue of the number of citations concerning the kingdom, that it's, it's something new going on. Old Testament kingdom is something a little, little more vague and it's something small, it's something localized concerning Israel. When we come to the New Testament, it's no longer localized. It's not small. It's global. It's something big. As R.C. Sproul says in, in his, his sermon he preached on this text, uh, what we find here in Acts and, and in the New Testament in general is something of a new chapter concerning the kingdom. Something new and big is on the horizon. This is what God spoke of to Abraham. Abraham was looking forward to something huge, something massive, something just global. Well, it's happening. We're going to see it unfolding in those early days after Christ's ascension into heaven in this book of Acts. The church is that kingdom. Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Present tense. 
It's not something we look for. It's not something that's out yonder somewhere. It's something that is now. It's something that's no longer, as I said, geographically defined. It was in the Old Testament geographically defined. And if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you had to come into the Israelite community, the Abrahamic covenant. The sign of the covenant was for Abraham who had believed. It was for Abraham's children. And it was for foreigners, strangers who would come in and desire to lodge within the confines of the covenant community of Israel. It was something small, localized, geographically defined. But not so now. Jesus in one of the many parables concerning the kingdom, says this. This is in Matthew 13, 31 and 32. Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. The Old Testament, the kingdom was small, geographically related. But now Jesus says the kingdom is going to be like something starts small and then it explodes and becomes something large. Something that can take in the birds of the air. In other words, there's plenty of room there. Jesus tells us that this, this kingdom will continue to grow and grow and grow. And we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that at the end, listen to what it says, then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And he is orchestrating the kingdom through the church, growing the kingdom, this tree, growing up from the seed, growing larger and larger and larger until it's the only tree. And then guess what Christ does? At the end, it says, when Christ returns at the consummation of the ages, he takes the kingdom, as it were, and says, Father, this is for you. It's the kingdom of God. Whether it's the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all God's. And the Son will hand it to him as an, as an act of, of obedience and love for his Father. So, the kingdom was small, Old Testament, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. Estimations are there have never lived on the face of the earth more Christians at one time than right now. Now, we're pretty, we're very, uh, we, have, we have tunnel vision. We typically, and this is sad to say, but even among Presbyterians who pride themselves in their form of governance of being connectional, that is, we're connected to a lot of churches in this nation and around the world, and yet we still can come into this place on Sunday and we can go out from this place on Sunday and be very narrowly focused to where we almost feel like, you know, Elijah, 
Like, we're, we're it. We're the only ones around. We're not. Now, that doesn't mean every Christian out on the face of the earth believes exactly what we do on certain details, but they, there are many who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as He's disclosed in the gospel and in Him alone. The kingdom. We are in the midst of a new chapter in history that will culminate in Christ coming. The book of Isaiah speaks of this prophetically, looking first to Christ's coming and then on down the road to His second coming when, when this, which I've just read from 1 Corinthians, will take place, when Christ will return. But leading up to Christ's return at the very end, guess what's going to be happening? Isaiah tells us, in the beginning of Isaiah to the end of Isaiah, that as the gospel goes forth, that the nations will come to the church. You get this picture of, of just little, at, at times, little trickles of people coming to the church, coming to the church. And when we get to the book of Acts, one of the things we're going to see over and over will be things like this at the end of chapter 2. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Not a few here and a few there, but day by day. I'll tell this, I've told it before, some of you are new and you've not heard me, but there's that great, great story, and it speaks to our faith or lack thereof. Spurgeon, young minister came and he was rather discouraged, and he asked Pastor Spurgeon at the great tabernacle in London, large church, they kept building buildings trying to get enough seats for Spurgeon. I don't agree with that policy, by the way, but they did do that, and and, and people would flock, and, and here's this pastor probably out on the fringe of London, and he's struggling, and a young pastor came and said, you know, I don't know what's wrong. People aren't being saved in our church. From, from the community, they're not coming in. And Spurgeon, who was a massive figure, you can just kind of see him looking at this poor young fellow. And he said, you don't really expect people to be saved every time you preach, do you? And the young man said, well, no, of course not. He said, then that's your problem. That's our problem, folks. We don't expect people to be saved when we tell them about Jesus. We don't expect people to be sanctified when we tell them about the grace of God. We really do expect people just to stay the same. How many times have you said that? No hope for that guy. Well, that's to deny the very heart and center of the gospel, and that is that the gospel changes people and makes them better than they were, makes them different than other people who are without the gospel. One of the things we're going to see in Acts is that there's a new chapter in history unfolding, and, and, and we need to believe that. We need to check our faith. We need to be like the disciples and ask the Lord to give us more faith in the youth Sunday school, which, by the way, I've just been a wonderful privilege of mine to be able to pick that class up and teach for a few weeks, aided with the good hands of some of our elders to fill in the gaps. But uh, this morning we're talking of the great work of Christ and the great benefits of Christ's work, pardon, forgiveness, acquittal, the declaration of 
of being not guilty before God, right standing with God. But here it is. This is the accomplished truth. Christ has done all this work. Here's the truth. This is what can be yours. How do you get it? How do you hook the two together? Through faith alone. It's the sole instrument. How are we going to be more bold in our proclamation as kingdom subjects? If we believe that someone has to be born again and the Holy Spirit brings the new birth, ordinarily through the preaching of the word, the talking of the word, the speaking of the word to other people, we need faith in order to speak the gospel boldly and kindly and gently and persuasively. We need faith to do that. We need God to give us faith. Well, that's the first thing, new era. Second thing I want to see is that the kingdom of God is by its very nature spiritual. We are very sight-oriented. We're very uh, uh, touchy-oriented. We, we, you know, we're, we're all uh, uh, from Missouri to some degree. You know, you've got to show me. That's just the nature of sinners. Faith is a gift from God. Sight is natural. And we can live, if we're not careful, by sight. And we forget that the kingdom of God is a spiritual, spiritual entity. It's a spiritual realm. It's a spiritual domain. In Luke eleven twenty, Jesus said, and this, now think about this, folks. We're talking about Acts chapter 1. Those last 40 days leading up to Christ's ascension to heaven, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, it's not like, as I said, it's not like this was the first time he talked to them about the kingdom. He's been preaching the kingdom of God all the way through. He highlights it at the end. Last things that he wants, the last thing he wants on their mind before he leaves is the kingdom of God. And this is one of the things that he would have taught them just as he did during his life. Prior to the crucifixion, his burial and his resurrection, he said this in Luke eleven twenty: If I cast out demons with the finger of God, let me ask you something. Did he? Say yes. Christ cast out demons. How did he do it? They accused him of doing it by the power of who? Beelzebub, Satan. And Jesus said, you're irrational. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Wouldn't that neutralize himself? Yes, he'd neutralize him. No, I'm casting out demons by the power of God. If Jesus says, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, and he did, surely, not maybe, not hopefully, not one of these days, but surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Again, he said, in Luke 17, asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or look, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Wherever Christ is, is the kingdom. The king is seated in the center of his kingdom. He's enthroned in his kingdom. The kingdom is a spiritual domain with which the power of darkness must reckon. In Colossians, Paul encouraged the saints then and now. We should be encouraged with this. 
God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see? The kingdom is a domain. We are born as children of wrath, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior of sinners, we are transferred by God the Father. He takes us and He transfers us from the domain of darkness, that of Satan, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Takes us out of darkness, puts us into light. It's a kingdom of light. Listen, Paul tells us that we are no longer citizens of this domain, that of Satan again, the prince of the air, but we are citizens of what? Heaven. That we, in fact, have been seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Now, that tells us that this whole thing is a spiritual, powerful thing. So that's a spiritual domain. Second thing I want you to see about the spiritual nature of the kingdom is that it's a present reality. I've already pointed this out. Jesus said, if I cast out demons, surely the kingdom has come, period. The kingdom is not something that you will say it's out there or it's over there. It's in your midst, present tense. The kingdom has come. Yes, certainly it will have a consummation. There will be a time when the kingdom will come in its fullest expression. That, that seed that's planted, that is growing, at any stage as that tree grows, it's still the tree. It's just not the fullest, maturest expression of the tree, right? But it's still the tree. The kingdom, as it grows from a little sapling, from that little geographical location in the Old Testament to the New Testament where Jesus, we're going to see next week, says that you're to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And at every stage, as that tree of the kingdom is growing, it's still the kingdom. It's just not its fullest, most maturest expression yet. But it will be at the end when Jesus comes, and we read about that just a moment ago from 1 Corinthians. In the end... Jesus comes and he will take the kingdom after he's conquered all of his foes and our foes, by the way, and he will hand the kingdom over to the Father. And he's going to give him not a pitiful little plant of some kind. He's going to give him the most gorgeous, big old, beautiful tree you've ever seen. It's a domain that possesses power, that sees people passing from darkness into light, its present reality, and it is thirdly a spiritual force. Now that shouldn't surprise us. We've said it's spiritual by nature. It's a spiritual force though. It, the church, the kingdom of God is militaristic. We often talk about the church militant. Now that does not mean that we take up swords and airplanes and missiles and things. But it's militaristic nevertheless. We're told in the gospel that the kingdom is to be taken by force. We read of the spiritual warfare that goes on. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'll read just a portion of this. 
Put on the whole armor of God. Now that sounds like you're getting ready for war, doesn't it? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, this is not a spiritual warfare or a physical warfare rather. It's not against flesh and blood. That's the reason Zechariah in chapter uh, 4 verse 6 can say that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, O Lord. It's spiritual. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. That's Satan and his dominion. Satan is the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul goes on to say that we're to to take up faith and the word of God and righteousness and all those spiritual things that we need to do spiritual battle. The kingdom of God is a a militaristic zone. It's, It's, as we said last week, you know, here inside these walls is the DMZ. This is the demilitarized zone. But out there, as we go out in kingdom conquest, that's a militarized zone. And we go out with the whole armor of God on us. We go out in faith. We go out with the word of God, the sword of the Lord in our hands. We go out with the spirit at our side to accompany us. We go out with righteousness and holiness to do the gospel work. So the kingdom... It's a new chapter in history that's, that's taking on this massive global appearance. It's spiritual, and notice how it's established. We just hinted at it, the whole armor of God. The kingdom is established by the preaching of the word. Jesus preached the gospel. In Matthew 4.17, Jesus began preaching, proclaiming, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's an emphasis there, by the way. Preaching, saying. I think every word of God's Bible is there with purpose. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of God's word. That means we don't believe that any word is is superfluous. Any word is just, well, you know, that seems to be redundant. Speaking, speak, he, he came preaching, saying. He didn't come preaching, acting. He didn't come preaching, singing. He didn't come preaching and dancing. He didn't come preaching and miming. He came preaching, saying. Now, why am I making a point of this? Because there are people, there are churches that replace preaching with drama. There, and they'll say, well, that's just another way of preaching the word. We're acting it out. They, they will do worship services in some churches where it's just a liturgical dance. And they'll say, well, oh, wasn't it beautiful? The word of God, the gospel was danced to us. And Jesus preached it saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Paul preached the kingdom of God. He preached the gospel 
of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is part of the gospel. Isn't it wonderful? We go out and we tell people the good news or the gospel of God's conquest of hearts. God has to conquer a heart and bring it into the kingdom. We preach that God can conquer your hard, sinful heart. We preach that God can renew your fallen mind. We preach that God can deliver you from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We preach that God can, can place you as a son and daughter of, of His in this household of faith. Did you notice in our confession of faith this morning? The kingdom, the church, household of God, household of faith, the imagery there. We are adopted into the household of faith. It's a spiritual realm filled with blood-bought, regenerate men and women and their children. That's the gospel. We tell people that, look, you can be taken out of this world's darkness and put in a world of light. You can be taken out of this world's coldness, this war zone, and put into a place that's warm and familial. That's the gospel. You can be taken out of sin and guilt and be given pardon and freedom. That's the gospel. And it comes by preaching. In the book of Acts, we're even going to see that even when miracles are done by the apostles, the purpose is not to perpetuate miracles, but it's to a pretext for the preaching of the gospel. Listen to what Dennis Johnson says so well. He says, uh, Miracles, which are frequent in the narrative of Acts, are pretexts for preaching, introducing sermons that interpret the miracle's true significance. The preaching, in fact, receives more extended treatment than the related signs of power. Now, that's certainly true. We'll see as we get into chapter 2. There's a miracle that happens in chapter 2. But there's nothing, nothing, we don't stop and dwell on that. It's the pretext for, Paul, for Peter to preach the great Pentecost sermon. And people hear the preaching of the word, they believe the gospel therein, and they are saved and added to the church. The book of Acts sets forth the marching church as it extends the gospel and the bounds of the kingdom. So we've seen the kingdom is spiritual. The kingdom is unfolding now in, in record proportions from this point historically, post-resurrection to this very day and will continue to the end of the age. We've seen that it's a realm and domain of, of justice. It's a realm of, of peace. It's a realm of, of God's love. It's a place of light versus darkness. We've seen that it's, it's one that, that's being built upon the preaching of the gospel. Very plain and simple. You remember what Paul says about this in one of his letters to the Corinthians? That God chose the foolish thing of preaching. Let's don't get any smarter than God's foolishness. Let's don't try to outsmart God in his... He chose a foolish thing, preaching. Yep, you can say, well, I think this would be better. Well, think that all you want. God chose preaching, and it may seem foolish to us. 
but it's the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom that brings people into the kingdom. We won't dance them in there. We won't act them in there. We will only preach them in there. So we need to be faithful, speaking the gospel, telling the gospel, proclaiming the gospel from every level of our lives so that people can know the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and have everlasting life. The question we end with is, are we subjects of the kingdom? Are you a subject of the kingdom? Do you enjoy this wonderful thing called the kingdom of God? The benefits of the kingdom comes through faith in Christ alone. We have to ask ourselves that hard question and be honest with ourselves. Do I really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I really in the kingdom of God? Or am I still out here in this realm, this domain of darkness? We pray for faith that we might know Christ and therefore know the kingdom. Father, we thank you for your word and ask now that you bless our, our souls with it. Father, challenge us that we would be in your kingdom and know the good news of kingdom living. And we do pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus, who reigns eternally. Amen. Let's sing. Thanks again for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church. These sermons are provided for the edification of church members who wish to hear the sermons again and for those who are providentially hindered from attending our services. We believe the Bible teaches there is no substitute for faithful attendance to worship and membership in a Bible-believing evangelical church. If you are in the East Tennessee area, we encourage you to visit our church in Oak Ridge. If you reside elsewhere, we encourage you to seek out a good church in your area. For help in doing so, or if you have any other questions or comments, please contact us at CPC Sermons at gmail.com. Again, you may learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant-pca.com. Blessings to you.